Well, good morning. We have been taking some time to talk about the will of God, and we were doing it in three distinct parts. Yesterday, we took time to talk about how it works, and specifically, the alignment of our heart, that if we want our heart to be aligned to the heart of God, we can't just move our heart. We actually need to move our treasure first, because wherever our treasure is, there our heart will be, and our heart was not created to lead, but to follow. So if we want our heart to align with God, we've got to make sure that what we value in life aligns to the, what God values in life. And then last night, we took uh, a little bit of time to understand a bit of the pattern about how God reveals himself. And I want to give you a 30-second summary. Out of curiosity, who was there last night? Just give me a sense. Oh, crikey. All right. All right, good. Well, I'll make it 15 seconds. No, I'm not kidding. All right, so here's the deal. God, God wants us to have a relationship with him that's vibrant, that we can chase him and chase his will. And the reality is that in John 14, 15, Jesus connected love and obedience he did it eternally. He just connected it and said, look, if you love, you obey. And there's no way to separate the two. But yet we can struggle. We say, God, I love you, but I'm struggling to obey you. Or I'm doing the things to obey you, but I just don't feel the connection. And the deal is, even though they're connected, they're not connected in a straight line. They're connected through a process, through a pattern. And the pattern starts when God chooses to reveal himself. He makes himself known. So we can know him. And when we know him, we love him. Because he is love. And we love because he first loved us. When we love him, then we trust him, because love always trusts, 1 Corinthians 13. And then when we trust him, then we obey. It's a process that just continues as he initiates so that we can know, we can love, we can trust, we can obey. And once we obey, Jesus says, then he reveals himself more to us, so now we know him more. And now we're in this beautiful cycle of knowing, loving, trusting, and obeying, knowing, loving, trusting, and obeying. It doesn't end until we mess it up, <laughs> until we don't obey. Tomorrow we're going to talk about how we get off track and really how the enemy messes with what God tries to do in our life and how many people don't even know it. But today we're going to talk about how we play in it, how we play in God's will and how we function in it. And there's a principle that we all need to understand. I'm just going to run through it fairly quickly. But every believer, everybody who walks with Jesus lives in, an, in a constant tension. It's a tension between what is known and unknown. It's a tension between what is seen and unseen. You can speak of it as a tension between certainty and uncertainty. Everybody lives in this tension. It's, it's what's seen and what's unseen. And when we drift into uncertainty, doubt takes hold, and we find ourselves in a posture of insecurity where we're insecure. On the flip side, when we're certain, when we're confident, that, constant, that confidence leads us to run and demand something of God, and it leads us to a posture of arrogance, where we demand something of him. Now, that, that posture of arrogance is rooted in pride, and that posture of insecurity is rooted in fear. So when we drift into uncertainty through doubt, we embrace a posture of insecurity out of fear, or we can run in our confidence and demand something out of arrogance that really is really, really a heart out of pride. But God doesn't want us to do either one of those. He doesn't want us to drift or demand. Instead, he wants us to drive down in our relationship with him. Not drift, not demand, to drive down to a posture of dependence. Dependence. Say that with me. Say dependence. Dependence is a posture of trust. It's a place of trust. It's where God shows up and does what only he can. 
And, and scripture says, the Lord said, be still and know that I am God. So sitting in stillness is an expression of dependence. In Isaiah 30, verse 15, he said, in quietness and trust is your strength. So stillness and trust are expressions of dependence, and dependence is based in trust. And dependence is, when we have this posture, then the reality is that we can live with certainty amidst uncertainty. It's the only way we do it. When we drift to the left or to the right, we live in independence. We're relying on ourselves, in our confidence or in our insecurity. And it's not that we don't have the peace of being in that certainty, that uncertainty with certainty reality. This is, this is a tension we're going to unpack later when we meet tonight a little bit more. But you need to understand this tension as we begin the conversation today. Because fundamentally, if you follow Jesus, if you follow Jesus, you're positioned not to decide anything, but to discern everything. We're not positioned to decide. We're positioned to discern. That means we have to listen and obey. We have to hear and obey. Now, God loves us enough. He, he creates space for us to make decisions within the, the channel of his will, so to speak. But the reality is we're not positioned to make decisions. We're positioned to discern. We need to hear and obey. And if we can't hear and obey, well, now we get stuck. Just uh, a couple of weeks ago, I had the chance to sit with some volunteers at the church I serve in, and they're great volunteers, and we got to the point in the conversation where we asked, had some question and answers, and one of the volunteers raised their hand and said, Sean, what would you recommend for us to get better, more effective, more impactful? And it doesn't matter where they serve, who they were, or when they serve, because the answer I gave then is the answer I would give us now. It's soul care. It's making sure you are rightly related to Jesus so you can hear him and obey him. If you can't hear God through his spirit, you can't discern. And you don't know how to love, and you don't know how to live, and you don't know how to lead. It's listen and obey. And that comes from a posture of dependence. Like I said something last night, and I want to say it again this morning. Although it's optional to become a Christian, Obedience afterward is not. And so we need to listen and obey. Otherwise, we'll never know the will of God. We'll never live fully into that. We'll never experience life to the full that Jesus described. Okay, so here's the deal. Hands down, one of my favorite stories in all of Scripture comes from 1 Samuel 14. You can turn there if you want. I'm going to walk down through it, set the stage. 1 Samuel 14. Let me just tell you what's happening. Israel is at war with a group of people called the Philistines. And, and Saul is, is the king of Israel. In fact, he's the first king of the united Israel. He reigns for 40 years. But in this scenario, he is encamped under a pomegranate tree with 600 men. And he's just chilling. Not far away is a garrison of Philistines who are guarding, an, guarding that pass at an outpost. Now, this is a tense situation. It's an old school standoff. Until Jonathan, the son of Saul, turns to his armor bearer and says, let's go over there. Just picture, just picture. Saul and 600 men chilling here, this precarious path that leads uphill to the outpost. And Jonathan says, let's go over there. Now, I like that moment because it's courageous. It's bold. And Jonathan does what most people, well, he doesn't do what most people do. He, he doesn't. He doesn't choose the probable out of fear of the impossible. See, we do that. We choose what's probable out of fear of the impossible. And Jonathan doesn't do that. He and his armor bearer, they, they actually go. They're bold. 
and they go. But you got to understand the scenario here because they are, they are outnumbered, they are outmaneuvered, they are outpositioned, and they are outgunned. <laughs> well, it's not really guns, it's swords, but you get the point. This is a very difficult and challenging scenario. Yet Jonathan doesn't choose the probable out of fear of the impossible. Instead, he decides to go. He leans forward into a risking posture with God, and he risks. Now, despite those challenges, they make the journey across that precarious thing. There's actually a cliff on both sides of the pass that they walk across, and they position themselves for God to do something bigger. Now, there's a couple of nuances that you may already see in the scenario I'm describing, and you can ask any military historian or tactician that what Jonathan was planning to do was a bad idea. Bad idea. The Philistines had every advantage. They were in a defensive position. The, the person who defends has an advantage. They were also on the high ground. They were uphill. They had an advantage. Beyond that... They also had the advantage of numbers. In, in this time period, the tactics of, of a siege would be that you would attack with three people against every one defender. In this scenario, it was at best one attacker to ten defenders. And the Philistines had all the resources. Because if we read in the previous chapter, all of the Israelite army only had two swords. Saul had one and Jonathan had the other. This was... This was crazy. This made no sense. Everything that Jonathan was preparing to do was ridiculous. It, it, it tactically made no sense. It lacked common sense. But he says to his armor bearer in verse 6 of chapter 14, he says this. He says, come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Now, I like his spirit. I, I like his heart. But again, from a human perspective, what Jonathan sought to do was un, really, at best, unre, unrealistic or simply just absurd. He was certain to lose. And anyone with good sense would have expected Jonathan and his armor bearer to die on that hill that day. But God isn't limited to our expectations, nor what's possible. So here's the deal. Their plan was that they would work themselves over across the way, show themselves to the Philistines, and if they said, wait, they would wait. But if the Philistines said, come on up, they would take that as a sign from the Lord, and they would go and attack. So, so they do that. They get over there. They pop their heads up from the ground. The Philistines see them and say, hey, come on, bring it on up. Let's fight. They're like, bring it. And in that moment, Jonathan turns to his armor bearer, and he's like, game on. Game on, God's given, us into, given them into our hands. Let's go. And they take off. Jonathan literally climbs up that hill on all fours. That's how steep it was. On all fours, up into a moment that begins to set a ripple that affects more than Jonathan and the armor bearer and more than the Philistines. It affects the whole army. See, what ends up happening is that they attacked a larger defending force uphill with one sword. It's crazy. They do it, and they don't die. They actually defeated 20 enemy warriors. They roused the whole Israelite army, woke up. There was a grand victory. It's extraordinary. It's one of my favorite stories in all of Scripture. And I, lumber, I love a number of things about this particular thing. I love the faith and courage of Jonathan. absolutely love it. But I also love the loyalty and trust of his armor bearer. It's amazing. But what I love most is the beauty of what God does in the impossibilities of life when we risk in obedience. When we choose a posture of dependence, trusting him with everything we have, even if it's little. 
See, too many people want to live like Jonathan, but they actually live like Saul. They want to move forward. They want to be engaged in things that are bigger than themselves, but instead they sit down. When they experience a loss, experience betrayal, and injustice, a problem, in the face of that obstacle, we can sit down under the shade of a tree. In the face of opposition, we just stop. We can sit down rather than climb. And every time we do, we limit ourselves to the possible. And we end up waiting under a pomegranate tree, and we miss being part of God's will, his greater purposes, being part of a miraculous moment. And we, whenever we choose to do that, that predictable, safe thing, we end up sitting under a tree. We miss out. And I realize that some of you today, you're carrying burdens, and you're living with brokenness, and you're struggling with wounds because you don't understand that God wants to overcome the impossibilities of your life. He wants to use you and that problem for more. There are hills to take. There are battles to fight, which is why it is increasingly important to remain expectant, forward-leaning, just like Jonathan, with the faith and courage to risk and to say, perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. God isn't limited to our expectations or our understanding. He will, his will is not defined by our circumstances. It's not dependent upon our ability. It's dependent upon our obedience. And he works all things for the good of those who love him as we climb and as we risk and as we risk again. This scenario in 1 Samuel 14 is impractical. It was certain to fail if God didn't show up, but that's exactly what God did. He showed up in the impossibility, and as a result, it mobilized the Israelite army. It produced a great victory, and there's this really cool reality that takes place. There was this moment of reconciliation, because prior to this moment, some of the Israelites had fled, some had hidden, and some had gone to the Philistine camp. But after this moment, they returned, and there was reconciliation and redemption. It's beautiful. You can read about it later at another point. But I want you to understand that whatever you face today, God can make you victorious. He can motivate others through your, your example. And he can bring reconciliation to relationships that have been broken by betrayal, by abuse, and injustice. He can overcome those impossibilities of your life. But it depends on whether you're willing or waiting. See, Jonathan was willing, and Saul was waiting. And we get to choose whether we're going to be willing and depend on him or whether we're going to wait in our own independence, whether we're certain or uncertain. That's when we wait. Are you willing or are you waiting? It's important to know because God can position us to be and do things that are not possible on our own. Jesus said, you know, apart from me, you can do nothing. <laughs> but with him, everything is possible. Nothing is impossible, the word says. So that's a game changer for us. And it means that the impossibilities that are before you today are no longer limitations. They're opportunities. Opportunities for you. Opportunities to fix what's broken, to restore things that have been lost, to heal a broken heart, to turn bad to good, awful to awesome. They're opportunities for God to do the miraculous. And whatever that impossibility is in your life, God wants to help you overcome it. It's a fact. It could be a habit. It could be an addiction. It could be a dying dream. Whatever that thing is, whatever that Philistine garrison is for you, know that God wants to lead you to overcome it if you, like Jonathan, 
will step out beyond your ability and risk in a posture of dependence in places that demonstrate that dependence on him. He's waiting for some of you to risk again, and for whatever reason you've chosen to pull back and you're waiting for him to prove himself trustworthy before you do that. Don't. He is trustworthy. If you wait to extend trust, you're waiting forever. Just step into it with risk. I think the question, though, becomes how. Well, you got to know what to look for to know how. And i got to tell you a story. I was, I was in, at a restaurant in the Quad Cities. This is where I live. Quad Cities is about a half million people. And I was at the restaurant, and I was heading to the restroom, and, and as I was doing that, I noticed two guys who were just a little bit shady coming from the back. And as a former state trooper, like, radar goes off, bells and whistles go off, and I locked on, and I'm starting in, like, observation mode. And I follow them. They're heading the same direction I am, so I'm just watching them as they go, and they head towards the back of the store, and they go out the back door. No problem, no incident. So I continued on in the restroom where I found another suspicious person. She was washing her hands at the sink. Yes, she was washing her hands in the men's restroom. It was an awkward moment. I was trying to figure out the best way to explain to her she was in the wrong place when I realized there's no urinals in this restroom. Now, if you've ever been in a circumstance like that where you're in the wrong restroom, you're trying to figure out the most gracious way to get out of a very awkward situation. And I was observing in the moment that I didn't think she saw me, so I was just going to make an exit without saying anything when she said, hello, pastor. I'm not making this up. Can't make this up. This is bad. It was an awkward, awful situation. I didn't think it would get worse that went worse. It, it was done. I was mortified. I think I babbled something like, well, one of us is in the wrong place. And I ran out the door before I ever even knew who she was. Didn't even stick around. Like, I'm out. Look, I missed what should have been seen. I missed the opportunity to read a sign, to see where I was going, and to know, hey, this means that. Don't go there. I missed something I should have seen. And we can do that. Now, in my defense, in my defense, I think part of the problem is the sign. It's the sign itself, because I think, well, I think subconsciously, when I see the, the women's sign, I think this. It was never a dress. Come on, anybody with me, ladies? Somebody say amen? Yes, it's, it's a cape. It's not a dress. It's confusing. And I missed the sign. I missed the thing I should have seen. There was something I should have seen. I missed it. I missed the sign that day totally. But I do think some, some consciously I do think about that, and I think it's not a dress. But there you go, ladies. You're like, yeah, duh. We've known that all along. All right. Sometimes we fail to see what we can see. So I want to share with you a simple but effective way to stay in his will and not miss the things you're supposed to see and to live boldly and courageously into what God has for you. And these three things really help us avoid drifting. They help us avoid missing those signs. And, and, and I'm not talking about mystical signs. I'm, 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 I know God does signs and wonders, but I'm talking about obvious indicators along the way, along the way. Now, sometimes we can think about God's will in a couple different ways. We can think about God's will as universal or general. It's like, it's, it's general. It means it applies to everybody. So like, it, his, his general will is that we are to love. We are to obey. Uh, we're not to commit murder. Okay, that's for everybody. That's general will. But then there's specific will, which is specifically for you. It's individuals. It's individualistic. It's, it's for you to take the moment to help that person. It's for you to pray specifically and particularly for that thing. It's for you to share the gospel with that person in that particular moment. That's specific. So you have general, you have specific, but then there's also permissive. 
And permissive is that space where it falls under general. It can even fit in specific, but we have the room to make decisions as we discern the larger reality. Let me make it really simple. It could be the specific will for you in your life was to attend Indiana Wesleyan University. That's God's specific will for you. But then within that specific will, his permissive will, to maybe live at Hudson or live in Kem. <laughs> Unless you're a woman, then you're not supposed to do that. That's not God's will. Ladies, you, divert, you deserve better than the man cave of Hudson Hall. No offense, guys, love Hudson. Did you track me? General, specific, permissive. In fact, think of God's will not so much as a tightrope, but as a channel. One that sets direction, has freedom, has limits, but one that we can live and move. It's not a tightrope, it's a channel. Now here's where I think it gets sticky for us. I think often when we start to think about the will of God, we're like, okay, what am I going to do? Is God asking me to do this or not? We start to think and function around how we feel. We, we literally go, okay, how do I feel about this particular thing? Does this feel good or does this just feel bad? Does it feel right or feel wrong? Is, do I feel calm or do I feel nervous? But listen, the feeling thing is a little, it's not specific enough. It leaves too much uncertainty. Just think about Jonathan and the armor bearer. I guarantee they did not feel calm in the midst of a combat reality in a, a not-so-friendly zone. It's not like... It felt good to be at war. So there, it's almost that feeling only is, is it's too much uncertainty. So what we end up doing is we go to another area and we, and we focus really on what we hear. It, it's what other people are saying. It's, it's, how, it's, what, it's what other people are even doing. We're like, look around, like, hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? And what are they doing? And we're tempted to follow the crowd in that. But at the same time, we're tempted to take what somebody says and when they agree with us, go, well, that's my confirmation. They agree with me, I'm gonna run with it. The deal is, there are so many voices, that it's a cacophony of voices, and those voices often don't agree. <laughs> so again, it doesn't really satisfy to go, what am I hearing? And then many people revert to that proverbial, what do I have? It's the, it's the open door, closed door metaphor. What's actually available to me? Now, no, there's nothing inherently wrong with with these three things. The problem is they don't go far enough. They don't go deep enough. They stop independently and only provide a little bit of insight into something that is much bigger, much deeper, much more layered than we often realize. We can't just function on how we feel, what we hear, or what we have. I once heard a sermon where somebody identified the principle of channel markers. And this has radically changed the way I chase and pursue the will of God, the way I even understand the will of God. This principle goes back to the idea of river channel markers way back before there was GPS. When riverboats would navigate difficult sections of the river, they would put poles, they would put out pillars, markers, so that the captain of that boat would be able to line up those pillars to know that they were in the safe part of the channel. If the captain could see more than one pillar, he knew he needed to adjust left or right. If he was on task, all three pillars would line up and he would stay in the safe part of the channel. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. So here's the deal. There are three channel markers that apply to our ability to know and do the will of God. And they are internal, external, and concrete. It's not feel, hear, have. It's internal, external, and concrete. The internal channel marker 
is that when we're walking with God, we're in right relationship with him, we don't have overt sin in our life, we're in, we're in the word, we're in prayer, then, then internally he can lead us by his Holy Spirit because his spirit is in us. Here's a great verse that references that. Last night we looked at John 14, 15, if you love me, obey my commands, but in the next verse, verse 16, he says, and I will ask the Father and will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. That's internal. The Holy Spirit leads a believer who is in right relationship with the Father, not in overt rebellion and sin. Right relationship. That's the internal. The external would be those who walk with God, our family, our mentors, our friends, those who walk with God as well, speaking into the journey, saying, this is what I feel like God's saying. This is what I think God is directing you to know and understand. And it's the external that starts to speak into that equation as well. But that's not the, that's, those are only two pillars. The third marker in that journey moves to concrete, but in Proverbs 19, 20, verses 21, it says this, listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. Many are the plans in the mind of man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that you stand, that you will stand. It's the purposes of his will that will stand. Now, we can consult other people and get that external reality and input to it, but the third thing is that concrete reality. It's whether or not the opportunity is even there. It's if you're thinking, hey, am I, should I take that job? Did you get offered the job? Because if you didn't get offered the job, it's probably not God's will, at least at this point. It's the concrete reality. Now, here's the thing. These things do not function independently. They fun- function interdependently. And we need all three to stay in this channel. So here's how this plays out. I have a desire to do something. I think God's saying I should do this, take that job, start that ministry, whatever it is. And I talk to my friends and my parents and my pastor, and, and I've got that internal and external confirmation. But the reality is I don't have permission or the ability to start that thing. Then it's not the purposes of God at that point. We flip it around. We say, okay, I actually have the ability to do that. The opportunities, I've been asked to do it. My, my family and friends agree, but I do not have the peace of God in it. Then you pause. And you wait for him to either bring peace or greater clarity. But if we don't have all three of these lined up, it's really risky to step and chase something new. These three things have radically changed and helped me in discerning God's will in my life. My transition from being single to being married. My transition from being in law enforcement to ministry. Channel markers. My decision to accept the invitation to be here and speak. Channel markers. Look, this is not a magic formula And it's not a three things, one plus two plus three equals the will of God kind of equation. This is a helpful tool that keeps us in the right channel. And if you're trying to struggle and work through God, are you saying you want me to do this or not? Internal, external, and concrete are the ways that he brings confirmation through the alignment that he brings. We need the alignment. We need to, to, and we're able to look at every circumstance through this grid and help discern God's will. 
But again, it's not a magic formula. It's just one way to keep us in the channel. And I found it incredibly helpful. Jonathan and Jonathan in the scenario we looked at, Jonathan had that internal desire, like, let's get over this. This isn't right. This is dishonoring to God. We should be taking ground here. He had the confirmation of his armor bearer. He said, look, I'll, I'll go. I'll be with you. Do whatever, you whatever, do whatever the Lord tells you. I'm in. <laughs> and then the boys on the hill said, yeah, bring it. <laughs> and the opportunity is there. Internal, external, and concrete. Look, we're going to talk more about this tonight because it can go well and it can go sideways, and we need to understand how to navigate that. But whenever and whatever you choose to do, your choice needs to be based in obedience, not obligation. This is not a process of obligation. This is a process of living out love and obedience. It's about relationship. It goes back to the heart. It's for him and his glory and his purpose, not ours. And these channel markers are helpful tools. In fact, in Ephesians 5, verses 15 to 17, it says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand the Lord, what the Lord's will is. Understand his will. You know, we get off track and we end in wrong places in life. We end up in the wrong bathroom sometimes. But all it takes is one person who's willing to listen and obey for God to do the impossible. My prayer is that you will be that one person. And you will, with a reckless abandon, demonstrate your love for him in bold obedience as he confirms internally, externally, and very concretely the way he wants you to walk. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we prepare to break from this space and head back to classes, homework, conversations, meetings, Lord, may you continue to work in us our ability to hear and obey, to listen and obey so that we can internally externally and through very concrete experiences know your will and do it not for our glory not for our gain but your glory god in the advancement of your kingdom i know that there are men and women here right now with great courage great boldness that haven't quite been able yet to figure out and sort out what it means to chase after you but i pray that the things we're talking about in the example of jonathan and the armor bearer that that would just help us each move towards radical obedience, moving into your will in a way that brings you honor and glory. So Father, in the name of Jesus, your Son, our Savior, I pray that you would continue to help us to live and move in a way where we know your will. We have that posture of dependence where we listen and obey. We listen and obey. I pray these things. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thanks for coming. Have a great day. Hope to see you tonight.